you would, turn with me to the book of Joshua. And uh, as you turn there, let me give you a little bit of a background as we, as we begin uh, this, this study. Remember where we are. We've, uh, we've finished the Pentateuch about a year ago. And, and I understand, by the way, sometimes uh, it's, it's not always easy to, to follow me on a, on a Sunday morning. Uh, for a variety of, of reasons, sometimes uh, some of those reasons are my fault, uh, sometimes not. But it can be it can be difficult to follow a sermon, um, particularly my sermons on a Sunday morning. And uh, maybe some of you are coming from church backgrounds where the church didn't preach through the Bible in the same way that we do, or maybe you're coming from a, a church background where. Um, or maybe no church background. Maybe you're coming from no church background. So on a Sunday morning, as we're going into the, the text and we're going through the Bible, sometimes it can maybe feel a little bit overwhelming. You know, we're going through this section of the Bible that maybe you're not that familiar with, and I'm using terms sometimes you don't understand, or maybe as we're in that passage of Scripture, we're talking about other books of the Bible, and you're, you're not quite familiar with some of those. And so I understand that on a, a Sunday morning, it can be difficult uh, to follow the messages sometimes. And so my hope, of course, by the way, is that even in a a room full of as many people as this room is full of with as many different types of backgrounds as are represented here, my hope is that in every message there is is something that uh, you can understand and glean to. I I try to cling to. my, My hope is that in a message that there are are things that everyone can benefit from. And then my hope also, of course, is that the longer you're here, uh, the more you'll be able to understand God's Word And through Sunday mornings, through Sunday school classes, through small groups, through care groups, you'll be able to, to understand more and more of God's Word through personal study. And of course, ultimately, uh, my hope would be that through the the tools that you glean on a Sunday morning and through other times, you would be able to to take the truths of God's Word and and just understand and grasp them through your your personal study as well. But to that end, a a series like this where we're taking the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, and the book of Ruth, and we're just kind of giving an overview over the next year or so, Uh, My hope is that this is going to help us understand this portion of Scripture uh, more deeply. And so we are in this this series, and the song we just sang is very appropriate because the name of the series that deals with Joshua, Judges, and the book of Ruth is Longing for a King and His Kingdom. Longing for a King and His Kingdom. That's what we're going to be thinking about as we look at these three books of the Bible. Now, let's, let's remember where we are in the story of Scripture. The book of Joshua is the sixth book of our English Bibles. Remember what we learned about the first five books of the Bible, the, those books of the Bible we call the Pentateuch. Remember, the story begins in Genesis, and in the book of Genesis, God creates the world. He creates human beings. We fall We continue in our sin, and then God makes this special promise to this man named Abraham. It's a a covenant that he makes with Abraham. He tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a a nation, and I'm going to provide this, this land for you in which this nation will exist, and I'm going to use you to bless all the other nations. That's the the promise that he makes to Abraham. It's what we call the Abrahamic covenant. 
And that's the first book of the Bible in which that happens, the book of Genesis. And by the end of the book of Genesis, Abraham's descendants have traveled away from the land that God has promised them, and they're in this land called Egypt. And then we begin the the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, the people that are the descendants of Abraham, the Hebrews, are now enslaved. In the book of Exodus, God brings his people out of slavery, and he prepares them to be a nation of priests, a, a nation that will communicate the glory of God to the rest of the world. In other words, this promise that God made to Abraham still stands in the book of Exodus. And the, the people leave the land of Egypt in the book of Leviticus. God prepares his people to enter in this land, and he prepares them by telling them, look, this is how you can live and dwell in the land with me. Here, I'm a holy God, and here's how you can dwell in the land in the presence of a holy God. In the book of Numbers, remember, the, the fourth book of the Bible the fourth book of the Bible, in the book of Numbers, uh, the people fail to enter the land that God promised them. They, they don't believe that God is going to do what he said he would do, and so because they don't believe him, they fail to enter the promised land, and they wander the wilderness for 40 years. At the end of the, the book of Numbers, the people encamp on this, this place called the Plains of Moab. They're, they're right outside to the east of the land that God has promised them. And then we come to the book of Deuteronomy, the last book of the Pentateuch, the, the fifth book of the Bible. And at the end of Deuteronomy, the people are still encamped on the plains of Moab, preparing to enter in the land that God has, has promised them. In fact, turn your, you're in Joshua 1, hopefully. Turn over just one page to the last chapter of Deuteronomy and, and look at how Deuteronomy ends. As Deuteronomy ends, the promise that God made to Abraham is is still in effect. What God has promised through Abraham, it's it's still in effect. In verse 4 of Deuteronomy 34, the Lord says to Moses, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you. I will give it to your offspring. I have Let you see it, God tells Moses, with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So the Abrahamic covenant is still in effect despite the disobedience of the people as we come to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. That that promise is still in effect. But the people still aren't in the land. They haven't achieved what God has promised them in terms of being in the land. And so the, the kingdom is still in the future. And... The the promised seed, the promised descendant that God promised Abraham, that God promised in Genesis 3, that that promised descendant, the the coming king that he tells Moses about in the book of Deuteronomy, still hasn't arrived. In fact, God promises this, this future prophet, this future king in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18, he talks about the prophet. And look at the last verses of Deuteronomy 34. Verse 10. Starting there, it says, There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And so we come uh, to the end of the, the book of Deuteronomy, and they're, they're still awaiting 
This is the theme of our, our series, right? They're still awaiting this king and his kingdom. So this, this series, this, this portion of Scripture, it's after the book of Deuteronomy. So it's after the first five books of the Bible. And it's before we get to the kings. The first king, King Saul. and It's before Samuel. So it's, it's, it's in this time period in between the start of the monarchy and the end of the people leaving the land of Egypt. And so in these books, the people are going to go into the land that God has promised them, and they're going to begin to, to, to live and to dwell. And the first book that we're looking at is the book of Joshua. And in the book of Joshua, we're going to see these, these four sections. We're going to see the people prepare to enter the land. We're going to see them in the second section actually enter the land. Then in the third section, we're going to see them divide up the land. In the last section, we're going to see Joshua tell the people some things. But today, we're in Joshua 1, and in, we're in uh, this first... You can go back there, Brock. Sorry, you're, you're perfect there. We're in this, this first section of the book of Joshua, Joshua 1, and we're, we're going to deal the next few weeks with the kingdom promises that God has made and the courage to be obedient to him. And in fact, as we study the book of Joshua, our theme is going to be that God keeps all of his kingdom promises. So all the things that he promised to, Mo, to, to Abraham, all those kingdom promises that he promised to Moses, those things are still in effect. The book of Joshua, we see God keeps all his kingdom promises. And in this first section of the book of Joshua, these first four chapters, we're going to talk about the, the courage in kingdom promises. The courage to be obedient and endure. Okay, thanks Brock. Uh, first message here then is dealing with the, the call in Joshua 1. The call to be a courageous the command. And so let's, if you're able to, uh, stand with me. As we read Joshua chapter 1, and this is a long chapter, and so if you need to sit down, don't, that's okay, feel free to do so. Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to read the whole chapter, and it begins in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and, ha- and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. 
Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Verse 10. And Joshua commanded the the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain the land that that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers, armed, armed before your brothers, and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he is to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. Verse 16. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with us as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. You may be seated. Father, we do ask for your strength, your enabling strength, the work of your spirit. We pray that we would be courageous by your grace. Give us the insight to be obedient to your word this morning. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I, I'm going to start a timer. And uh, don't, don't get your hopes up. This is not so that I end on time. Um, I'm go- in fact, let me go a few minutes over today. We're, I'm, it's for 11 minutes and 35 seconds. 11 minutes and 35 seconds. And I'll, I'll explain more later, but I'm beginning it right now. Okay, remember that. There's a, uh, there's a book I've mentioned before by Alex Hutchison, and it's, it's called Endure. Endure. It's not about listening to sermons. It's, it's about endurance and how a person is, is able to endure in the midst of different types of, of physical and mental adversity. He kind of explores what that word in, endure even, even means. He says, endurance is a conceptual Swiss army knife. It's, it's what you need to finish a marathon, but it's also what you need in order to be able to complete a cross-country flight in a cabin with a bunch of angry toddlers. He says, here's a definition that he gives. He says, endurance is the struggle to continue against a mounting desire to stop. Let, let me read that again. Endurance is the struggle to, con- to continue against a mounting desire to stop. So I, I continue to run that marathon or I continue to endure that, that situation with a bunch of angry toddlers in, in the nursery and I, I continue to try to keep my sanity and I, I keep on doing it and I keep on doing it and I keep on doing it despite the fact that the more that I do it, the, the greater my desire to stop becomes. 
And he explores what is it that enables some people to endure, and more importantly, what is it that causes some people to stop. And it's just a very fascinating book. One of the chapters is on oxygen. He just entitles it Oxygen. He talks about people who climb mountains and are able to keep going whenever the oxygen decreases. He talks about free divers who are able to just kind of dive in and keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And or most of us would, would say, you know what, this is, this is deep enough and go back up for air, how they go further and further. And he also talks about people who hold their breath. And he talks about the, the record for the longest amount of time a person has ever been able to hold their breath without special oxygen, things like that. And can anyone guess how long the longest person to ever hold their breath, how long they've held it for? You guys are good. 11 minutes and 35 seconds. So if you had begun holding your breath when I, when I started the timer, you would still have another 8 minutes and 55 seconds to go. Okay? So if you... If you want me to restart it and someone wants to try the record up here on stage, that could be kind of fun. Although you, you need to be in a pool. Anyway, long story. The, the, the record holder is, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but I think it's Stefan Mifsud. And he, and he talks about how, how, you, how you do this, how you endure. He says the barriers are primarily mental, not physical. So you, you can imagine you, you, know, you take a bunch of deep breaths and you, you hold your breath and there's that that initial phase where you just, you just want to let the air out and breathe in oxygen, right? There's that, that mental desire to, to stop holding your breath. So there's this mental struggle. And then, and then the longer you go, that desire apparently, I would not know because I've never made it this long, but that, that desire begins to decrease and there's, he says it's, there's this searing pain like you're lying on a, an, an iron. It's just this, this searing, burning pain. And your heart begins to, to beat more slowly. And how, how do they do it? As, as Hutchinson talks about how these people who are able to hold their breath do it, he says, you know, we're not quite sure. Part of it's physical, part of it's mental, and it's just, it's just hard to comprehend. How do we endure spiritually? How do we endure spiritually whenever God has called us to persevere and to be obedient to him? How do we continue day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade of our life to continue? How do we continue to sustain obedience to God and how do we handle it when we fail? In this text, we're going to look at a command and the command is the command to be strong and courageous. And we're going to see that, that that phrase, being strong and courageous, means to be resolute. It means to be steadfast. It means to have resolve to continue. It means to endure. And over the next few weeks, as we talk about courage and God's kingdom promises, we're going to see how God enables his people to be courageous, to endure, to continue. But this morning, I want us to focus on this. This is the main idea that I want us to grasp as we look at the command. What I want us to see is that our life itself depends upon our sustained obedience to God's word in the midst of constant opposition. Our spiritual life, our, our, our health, and our relationship with God our very spiritual being 
depends upon this. Sustained obedience to God's word in the midst of opposition. So we're going to talk about that sustained obedience. It's what God calls courage here in this passage, strength. We're going to, to look at that, that and look at the command that God gives us to that, and then in the coming weeks, how God helps us fulfill that command that he gives us. Our life itself depends upon our sustained obedience to God's word, even in the midst of constant opposition. All right, so we're going to look at the, the, the need uh, to be obedient here to God, the, the need to be courageous the need for courage, and then the call for courage. So let's, let's first of all look at the need for courage. And again, look there with me at your text. And we look here first at the, the need for courage in verses 1 through 5. And look at how the story begins. Verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. So remember that the people are encamped as the story begins. They're encamped there on the plains of Moab to the east of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to go in the land that God has promised them. And as we've discussed, Moses has, has died. This is a huge loss for the people. We read the end of Deuteronomy 34. Remember what it says there? This, this man is, is amazing. He is no, no prophet like Moses has arisen since he lived, whenever the writer of Deuteronomy is writing talks about the, the great deeds of terror that Moses was able to do. God did amazing things through Moses. And now, as the book of Joshua begins, Moses has died. And if the people's ability to go into the promised land and be successful was dependent upon having Moses as their leader, they are in huge trouble. Joshua is not Moses. And the people... I'm sure understand that Joshua isn't Moses. And Joshua, I'm sure, is very cognizant, very aware of the fact that he is not Moses. Who is Joshua? Joshua is a, a man that was born in slavery in Egypt. We encounter him in the book of Exodus as Moses' assistant. He goes with him. He is, 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 is uh, the person who helps him, kind of his aide. We see him in the book of Numbers being very very jealous for Moses' recognition, and Moses has to say, you know, like, calm down, Joshua. Joshua is this, this constant voice of support for Moses. In Numbers chapter 13, we see that Moses changes Joshua's name. He changes his assistant's name as he prepares to go into the land that God has promised the people. He changes his name from uh, Hoshua, so Deliverance, name means salvation or deliverance, to Yeshua, Joshua. God delivers, God saves. Joshua's name itself is a, a theological truth being proclaimed to the people. It is God who delivers, it's God who saves us. Joshua is one of the people that Moses sends into the promised land to spy it out. Remember, they come back and they give the report to the people in Numbers 13 and 14. And Joshua and Caleb are the two spies who've gone to the land who say, no, God will, God will deliver. God will fulfill his promises, but the people rebel. And Joshua, now as the book of Joshua begins, Joshua's the man appointed by God to do this amazing ministry. Now, now look at the text with me. And look at what God says to Joshua. He acknowledges the reality, Moses, my servant, is dead. And so 
the, the situation has changed in terms of who the leader is, but the command and the promise are both still intact. The command still remains, go into the land, and the promise is still intact. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. He reminds Joshua not just of what he needs to do, but a context in which the, the, the promises that he's made exist. So look, he says the land is still yours. There's this, this in fact, um, the, not only is the land still yours, but the inhabitants of this land won't be able to defeat you. I'm going to be with you. In fact, look at verse 3. And much of what we encounter here in Joshua chapter 1, we also see in the book of Deuteronomy. So look at verse 3. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 11, okay? And you look at Joshua 1, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 11, verses 24 and 25. And notice how, notice how similar these verses are. So verse 24 of Deuteronomy 11, you look at Joshua 1, 3. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. Now, I'm going to read verse 25, and you look at verse 5. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. So you see what's happening here? What God promised Abraham back in Genesis, beginning in Genesis chapter 12, what God promised Abraham, what he confirmed to Moses, and is, is the promise that he's confirming to Joshua that is, is still intact. I, I'm going to do what I, I promised to do. I, I'm going to be with you. Every place that the sole of your foot treads upon, I'm going to give you, just like I promised Moses. And then he gets, gets in verse 4, and, uh, go and show the map there, Brock, if you don't mind. Oh, by the way, the timer just went off, Okay. So you can let out your breath if you've been holding it. That, that's a long time. To, we'll, talk, we'll talk more about that in a minute. That's a long time though, right? This is the land that, we'll, we'll come back to this land here in a, in a few months, but just remember, this is, this is the land that God promises in the book of Numbers. This is kind of the boundaries that are there. Those, he's saying, Joshua, the, that, those boundaries, still in effect. Okay, thanks, Brock. And says, I'm, God is basically saying, look, I'm the sovereign giver. I, I'm going to provide the land. I'm going to fulfill my promise. All that I've said that I was going to do, that's still in effect. I, I'm going to do it. Now, if that's true, if God says, I, I'm going to give, I'm going to do this, what I promised still, in effect, still is in effect, if it's true, why is there a need for courage? If God says, look, I'm, I'm going to be the one who does all the things that I've promised to do, why is he going to begin to tell Joshua you need to be courageous? Why is there a need for courage if God is going to do all this? The reason is that God has not just ordained the end. God has also ordained the means by which he's going to bring about that end. Does that make sense? 
In other words, not only is the end going to come, and it's absolutely going to come. God is sovereign. He's going to deliver. He's going to fulfill all of his promises. But God also knows the means by which those promises are going to be fulfilled, and those are not easy means. In other words, Joshua and the people are going to be called to do difficult, difficult things. God knows how painful the things that Joshua and the people are going to be called to do are. And so he says, look, you need courage. You need to be sustained in, in your obedience. The, the book I mentioned on endurance has this, this chapter on pain as well. And it makes this very interesting observation. It says, an athlete in the midst of a competition is able to endure lots of pain. But the reason that athletes are able to endure pain is not because they're in good shape. Not, not just because they're in good shape. They're able to to endure pain because of the pain they endured to get into shape. Here's how Hutchinson writes it. He says, getting fitter doesn't magically increase your pain tolerance. How you get fit matters. And then he writes this, you have to suffer. You must suffer. And the same seems to be true spiritually. God has ordained the means by which we are going to lay hold of his promises. And God has ordained that the means by which you and I, just like the people in Joshua's day, the means by which we lay hold of his certain promises will not be passive. Your pathway to holiness and your pathway to obedience to God will not be a, a passive pathway. The path upon which God calls you to walk is going to be a path upon which you suffer. God will enable, God will sustain, God will fulfill all of his good promises for you. But how will he do that? Brothers and sisters, you and I are going to suffer. We will persevere. We will experience God's greater holiness. We are going to be sanctified. But holiness and sanctification, brothers and sisters, are not going to be obtained lightly. And so, what do you and I need? We need courage. We need strength. This promise that God makes to Joshua in verse 5, I'm going to be with you, it's repeated in Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, there's this call that, that God makes upon his church to persevere through loving others, through remaining pure sexually, through being free from the love of money. And he says in verse 5, the writer of Hebrews, God says to the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Perseverance is hard. Courage is hard, right? It's hard to endure. It's hard to sustain obedience. In our family right now, we are in the, the beginning of cross-country season, and uh, th this, may sound, this may sound a little bit mean, and, and that's only because it is, but <laughs> I love watching middle school kids run cross-country the first couple meets of the season. It's still hot outside, and they've, they've been eating you know, Twinkies all summer. And now they, they come and they, and they try to run a couple miles in the heat and they're not ready for it. And, um, and I feel very bad for them too. <laughs> but you know, they're, they're running and I always love, I love to watch the first, and if this is your kid, 
they're awesome. But um, <laughs> I love watching that first kid, the first meet. And I'd get it, I'd, I'd, I'd look at his number. I'm like, I'm going to see this kid later. But it's the beginning of the meet, the first 100 yards. And he's just looking back and he's just running so fast. And then you kind of watch them throughout the next couple miles. And then halfway through the course, you, you see the kid again. And he's doing this, you know. And, and if you have a weak stomach, maybe just kind of tune out for a second here. But you know, we were at a meet on Thursday. And, and this kid had come out pretty fast. And now we're, we're, watching, we're watching him uh, kind of halfway through the pack. And he, there's this point in the course where it all narrows and you have to make this sharp turn. And he gets right to there and he goes, and he stops. And we're like, come on, kid, you can do it. Just, just a little bit further. And so he runs a couple more steps. And he just kind of looks around. And fortunately, he made it you know, past us because we just... <laughs> We just, none of the parents around wanted him to do it there, you know, so. Endurance is hard, right? And you don't get to, to be a good middle school cross-country runner the, the first race. It's just this time of, of, of endurance and persevering time after time after time. You don't hold your breath for 11 minutes and 35 seconds by just saying, you know what? I think, hold on, guys, watch this. And doing it, right? It's true Spiritually. The pursuit of holiness can't be passive. And my question for you this morning is, is, do you have the courage to endure? Do you recognize the difficulty of what God has called you to do and will continue to call you to, to, to do? Maybe you're, maybe you're poor. Maybe you're, one, maybe you're not as, as wealthy as, as other people around you. Are you going to have the courage to endure? Are you going to have the courage to continue to not envy what other people have as God has called you to do. Maybe you're wealthy. Are you going to have the courage to endure and continue to, to not hold, lay hold of your possessions as God has called you to do? Maybe you are a, a single person here this morning. And, and are you going to have the courage to endure in holiness? Are you going to continue to persevere in, in using your singleness as God would have you? Not, not clinging to the world, not clinging to, to singleness or clinging to the idea of marriage, but saying, you know what, I'm, I'm using the time that God has given me as a single person to pursue the things that God would have a single person pursue. Maybe you're retired. Are you going to have the courage to endure and, and sustained obe- have sustained obedience towards God and, and living a life that's different than your retired peers around you. You're going to see your retired peers go on these vacations. You're going to see them do all these other things. And, you, and God's going to call you to do something different. Not that vacations are wrong, but your, your lifestyle is going to look different than your other friends who are retired. Are, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to have sustained obedience? You, if you're going to, brothers and sisters, we need courage. And so in the light Even in light of God's promises, we see a call for courage. And look here at verses 16, uh, 6 through 18. Here's the call for courage. God calls Joshua now. He says, okay, this is what I've promised that I'm going to do. And now he says, now you need to to trust me. And he gives this other command. He says, he says in verse 6, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Now I want you to understand again, we've talked about it already this morning, but understand what that that phrase means. When he says strong and courageous, he doesn't mean just be brave. He's saying, look, I want you to be strong and, and resolute. I want you to be firm in your convictions. The context here helps us understand this nuance. He's not saying, look, I, I want you 
to be strong so you can go in and, and, and fight mightily. He's not saying you need courage so that you can, can defeat these people. In fact, again, Deuteronomy 31 this, this command is given to Joshua from Moses. Be strong and courageous. Don't be in fear or in dread of the people. It's the Lord who goes with you. In other words, here, this is the key to the whole message. This is what I want you to understand. The command to be courageous is not a command to fight the battle yourself. It's not you need to be cur- courageous so that you can defeat people. The call, the command, is to persevere in trust, not to perse- persevere in doing the work ourselves. The command here is a command to persevere in trusting God. He's saying, be strong in trusting me and manifest that trust by obeying my voice. That's the call for courage that God makes upon Joshua, and it's the call for courage that God makes upon you and me. Now, how does one obey this command? There's five things that I want you to see with me here. Number one, Number one, this this obedience requires an intellectual understanding of God's word, right? He says in verse 6, be strong and courageous. And then he says, be strong and courageous, verse 7, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Now, if you are going to be obedient to God, what is obviously required of you? Well, a knowledge of what God tells you to do. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He wrote this in the, the mid-1900s, around 1950 or so. He says, it's, it's my opinion that the Christian conception of God current in these middle years of the 20th century is so decadent as to be utterly beneath the dignity of the Most High God and actually to constitute for professed believers, something amounting to a moral calamity. He says, The idolatrous heart assumes that God is other than he is, in itself a monstrous sin, and substitutes, this is the idolatrous heart, our idolatrous heart substitute the true God for one made after its own likeness. And always this God will conform to the image of the one who created it. He writes, Before the Christian church goes into eclipse anywhere, There must first be a corrupting of her simple, basic theology. She simply gets a wrong answer to the question, what is God like? And then goes on from there. Though she may continue to cling to a sound nominal creed, her practical working creed has become false. The masses of her adherents come to believe that God is different from what he actually is, and that is heresy of the most insidious and deadly kind. The heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of him and of her, the church. Brothers and sisters, ignorance of God's word is absolutely unacceptable for those of us who would call ourselves God's church. We must, like the psalmist, long for the the, the pure uh, truths of God's word. Like the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 18, we need to be able to see, I see wondrous things from thy, thy law, and how can we see those things if we're not looking upon And God's law? We need to know these things. Secondly, Secondly, God calls upon Joshua to have a commitment of the will to follow God's word. He says at the end of verse 7, don't turn 
from it to the right hand or to the left. You may have good success wherever you go. He's quoting here, again, from Deuteronomy 17. This is the instruction that's given to the future king. And, and the call here is don't, don't swerve to the right, don't swerve to the left. Keep your, keep your mind and your heart focused upon what God has called you to do and commit of your will. Look, I'm going to be obedient to that. Third thing we see here is an, an internalization of the content of God's word. He says in verse 8 that this, this book of the law, he says, it's not to depart from you. It's not to depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And what he's describing here isn't some sort of Eastern mysticism. And sometimes when we see the med- word meditate in the scripture, we think, okay, I just need to empty my mind of all thought and just kind of meditate upon these things. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about taking the truths of God's word and, and thinking about them. We're focusing upon God and, and his character and his works. Psalm seventy-seven twelve says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. It's meditating upon God's law. Psalm 143.5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. And there's a, a declarative focus of meditation. It's, it's taking the truths of God's word and it's, it's, it's thinking about them and it's talking about them. The word we see here to describe success isn't financial success. It's, it's describing a life lived in obedience to God and, and the joy that exists for those who are obedient to God. This internalization of the content of God's word requires us knowing God's word, committing to follow it, and then thinking through the truths. Let me encourage you, in your care groups, with your friends, with your family, be thinking about this commitment to know and be obedient to God's word. We're going, to, we're going to need to be going through the book of Joshua. I'd encourage you every week to be, to be reading through what we're going to be preaching on and, and teaching on the next week. In fact, a couple of you came up to me this morning and said, hey, I've been reading Joshua, and this, I'm thinking about it already. If we're going to maximize our ability to know God's word and think about it, be, be reading the scripture on your own, be having your own Bible plans and, and reading through, but also be reading through what we talk about on a Sunday morning. Come into to church on a Sunday morning and say, okay, I've got these four questions. Maybe you've emailed me the questions during the week and, and you're thinking about the text and you, you want to know, okay, what does God's word say about these things? Ask me questions and others in your, your care group, ask questions after the teaching of God's word in Sunday school or in the service. Be prepared. Watch the post-Sunday app. Think about the truths of God's word and be meditating upon those things throughout the week. The fourth thing we see here is to, to have comfort in the abiding presence of the author of God's word. God says, I'm, he, he says it again, I, haven't I commanded you to be strong and courageous? I'm, I, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The call to courage is not so that Joshua can be courageous enough to win the battles. It's a call to believe that God will win the battle. And the last thing I want you to see this morning is this. This type of courage requires us to trust in the one who steadfastly obeys God's word. I want you to go to the end of the chapter, and I want you to notice this. I want you to notice how the people respond. So 
God gives Joshua this command in verses 1 through 9, and then Joshua goes to the people. He says, okay, get ready, guys. We're going to get prepared to enter the land. And then he says to the two and a half tribes, those that are going to live on the eastern side of the Jordan River, he says, okay, guys, remember, you need to come with us, and then you can go back. And then all the people respond. And I want you to notice their response. They say, all that you've commanded us will do, wherever you send us will go, And then they say in verse 17, just as we obeyed Moses, so we'll obey you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were Joshua, I'd say, you know what, maybe even better than that, right? I mean, your obedience to to Moses wasn't that great. Maybe we could step it up a little bit. But, and then they say, um, they're, they're, they're committing to follow him. And then they end with these words, only be strong and courageous. Now, why would they say that? Why wouldn't Joshua tell them, you need to be strong and courageous? And, And maybe he did say that as well, but Why does the writer of Joshua end with them saying, now you be strong and courageous? What does the name Joshua mean? It means God saves. It means God delivers. I want you to notice this as we go through the book of Joshua. Joshua serves throughout the book of Joshua as as a picture of of God's deliverance. He serves as as a picture of this coming king. He serves as a picture of the coming deliverer. Now the people, spoiler alert, they're not going to be that obedient to Joshua at times and to God. Joshua, on the whole, it's a very positive book, but certainly right after Joshua's death, sometimes, we're going to see in the sin of Ai, they don't obey perfectly. The Gibeonites, several times they don't obey perfectly. So what do the people need? They need someone else to be strong and courageous for them. And I believe that is part of the message of Joshua and certainly part of the message of Judges as well. You and I, in and of ourselves, don't have the ability to be perfectly strong and courageous. We need someone who can obey the voice of God perfectly for us. And so we, we, as believers, we take this command seriously. We, we want to commit ourselves to trusting in God's deliverer. We want, we want to be able to, to persevere in knowing God's word and be obedient to it. But at the same time, we cling to Christ, believing his promises perfectly, understanding our need to be united with him through faith so that he can be our strong and courageous defender. Our life itself depends upon sustained obedience to God's word in the midst of constant opposition. Our spiritual life depends upon endurance, an endurance that you and I cannot achieve on our own. We need the perfect endurance of our great deliverer, Jesus Christ. I hope you're encouraged as we go through the book of Joshua to continue to cling to Christ And see God fulfilling his promises and believe that he's going to fulfill his promises to you through his son Jesus. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the sustained obedience of your son Jesus. And we pray that through our union with him, you would continue to to change us and sanctify us. And we recognize this morning that the path of sanctification by which your promises will be fulfilled in our life will not be an easy path, a path that we can walk passively. We pray for your enabling work through your spirit. We pray this for your glory in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.